Come on, get your Bibles out and uh, open it up, if you would, please, to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, that first chapter, I want to share just several things out of just a few verses here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in just a moment, starting with verse 5. And uh, I mentioned to the group that gathered for intercession time that I'm going to share just a little bit about Reformation. And uh, we're going to try to make it real practical uh, in everyone's life. So it won't just be this uh, mystical, ethereal journey through church history, but that you'll bring it down, hopefully, to where you live and your relationship with God, and that you'll see the very practical ramifications of what I believe God's trying to do and attempting to do in the earth today. And so we've called the lesson, the message this morning, a vision for reformation, a vision for reformation. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. I trust you brought your Bible. If not, I'm quite sure that uh, the verses will be posted. Yes, they are overhead. You can follow along with us. Paul writes these words. He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And we're going to talk about a vision for reformation. Um, I was watching... This week, uh, as I often do, because I'm just kind of a news junkie, I'm a cable news junkie, and so I like watching, and, and, and I watch whether it's a cons more conservative news network or a more liberal news network, I kind of watch them all because I just want to hear what people are saying and what's going on and what they think to be important. And this week, some of you may be aware, some of you may not, there's a great protest going on in Wisconsin I'm going to call the pastor friend I know up in Wisconsin. I'm going to give him a bad time, tell him he needs to go down there and just settle that whole thing. Um, but there's all sorts of people that are protesting, and they're protesting over various things concerning unions and uh, pay wages and whether or not uh, they can arbitrate in a certain way. And, I, you know, all of that is, is interesting, and I'm sure even in this room we probably have our opinions on the subject. But you know, whenever I watch something in the news, I watch it not just from a natural or political perspective. And do you understand, and, and this might be a good point just to throw out there, it wasn't on my notes, but I think it's a good point, that you know, you can watch the news and be interested, and these things have a place in our concern radar. But truth be told, a lot of times what it does is it, it pulls us or it seduces us back into the natural man. And all we see are the natural issues that are in front of us. And so I endeavor, when I watch the news and these sorts of things, to try to get what I call sort of a prophetic picture or get the eyes of God on it. Because if the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, according to Psalm 24, and God's working on the earth, this is what I believe. I believe the natural is merely a repercussion of what's going on in the spiritual. A lot of times you can look at what's going on in the natural and you see spiritual repercussion. You know this to be true. You can go and see upheaval and you can see evil and you can see uh, challenges and bondages in cities or in people's lives. And it doesn't take it doesn't take a depth of revelation to understand that there is a a spiritual entity. There's a spiritual force that's doing something behind the scenes that's manifesting itself. In specific and oftentimes devastating, hurtful, or destructive ways. Now, I believe this to be true. I believe that the natural is simply a repercussion of what goes on in the spirit realm. And so we see this upheaval. We see all of this, 
this, uh, 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 you know, uh, chaos. Yeah, that's a good word. We, we, we see them protesting. And, and whether it be, you know, Tea Party people or whether it be those who are union people, I don't care. We see this upheaval. And can I share this with you? That, that Romans chapter 8 says that the earth groans. The earth groans. And as it's groaning, it's awaiting the manifestation, the Scripture says, of the sons. And I'll go ahead and make it gender-free. And the daughters of God. That's the upheaval we see. There's no answers. If there were answers, there's going to be a group that doesn't like the answer. And so what happens is we come to these stalemates. We come to these dead ends. We come to these places where, where we're all worried about who's going to protest us and how's this going to work. And the whole thing, our whole nation, and in turn people's lives are spiraling. And the question is, when will it stop? And I'll just tell you this, that until we understand that it's not just sheerly an economic issue, it's just not sheerly a political issue, but folks, this is spiritual at its root. A way of life that we have known because it honored God at least at some level and was blessed has now slowly and insidiously been removed away from us until now we see the repercussion of it all. Upheaval, chaos. Which direction do we go? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if my state, this is some people's opinion. I don't care if my state, I don't care if my nation goes into bankruptcy and it becomes a second world nation. I want what I want. You're hearing me. That's a spiritual issue. I want to be blessed and I want, you know, I, I like a paycheck as much as anybody, but I'm just, I'm sharing these things with you in order that you can get new eyes to interpret. And to see what's going on in the earth. You know, years ago, uh, Thomas Jefferson was writing to uh, James Madison and he wrote these words. I think I put it on the screen overhead. He said this. He said, a little revolution now and then is a good thing. And as necessary in the political world as storms in the physical. He was saying that, you know, it's not something you do all the time. But on occasion, it's good to have it happen because it... It stirs things and writes things to the way it should be. Here's the good news. And all that you see in the news and on the landscape, this is the good news. That ultimately, God will break through in the midst of that chaos. And there is now a possibility that He can write what's been wrong. There is now a possibility that He can bring solutions from Himself, which ears would not have heard before. That's what He does. Though there be darkness, yea, even gross darkness in the earth, the Scripture says, a light will shine. Kings and princes will be drawn to the brightness of its rising. And I'm telling you, this is an hour for you and me as, as the church. And that means people. This is the hour that when there's this chaos and upheaval and anarchy, this is our moment that we can step in with stability and answers and solutions because we have set our lives on a rock. And on that rock, he says, I'll build my church and not even hell can prevail against it. People, people are living lives full of hell because they're not on a rock. So so don't don't be discouraged or don't be worried or in anxiety. This is a perfect moment for the unveiling of the gospel. But in order for that to happen, I believe what Jefferson said about nations can also be said about the church. I believe not only a little reformation is a good thing for the political world, I believe a little reformation now and then is a good thing and is necessary in the religious world as is storms in the physical. And the reason for both is that whether it is in your nation or whether it is in your church, the propensity is always there for people to slowly lose their way and to fall into that which was never intended. I believe God wants to stir us as well to reformation. Now, I've received words through the years of, uh, you know, reformation and, 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 and having a voice of reformation. And, and I've gotten these words through the years, and I'm not even sure I understood what they meant then. I'm not sure I have that much more insight now. But I can say by virtue of DNA transfer, if that word is true, and because I'm a pastor and, and my words sink into you and you consider them and, and uh, uh, you weigh them, and oftentimes you'll hear the voice of God in them. 
by virtue of that transfer, I, I suspect I have a lot of reformers in this room as well. Now, the definition of reformation I put on the screen is an improvement or an intended improvement in the existing form or condition of institutions or practices, etc. Intended to make a striking change for the better in social or political or religious affairs. Now, uh, it's interesting that for me, there's a name that all of us would probably recognize very quickly that defines Reformation very easily. Reformation equals house cleaning. Every now and then, God allows a breeze of His Spirit to come through because He has to do house cleaning. And in that house cleaning or in that Reformation, He begins to purge things. He purges error. He purges inefficiencies. I, I want you to remember this concept. God, God in, when He reforms things, he wants to bring things back to their proper definition. That's very important. Bring things back to its proper definition. And uh, when he does this, we are then on a foundation by which we can begin to see his blessing, his help, and uh, his favor once again come to us all. Now, all through the Bible, there have been all sorts of reformations, biblical reformations. I mean, kings and prophets, those of you that have read your Bibles and you've read through the Old Testament, you will know that there were evil kings and there were good kings. And the evil kings oftentimes would build the uh, altars of Baal and the people of Israel would fall into idolatry. And in that idolatry, God would withdraw his hand of favor and blessing and the nation would go through terrible things. But then the prophets would arise and the prophets would speak the correction of the Lord. He would speak uh, they would speak to the nation and to the kings the word which would begin to uh, redefine the redefining that they had done uh, in order to bring things back into the proper perspective. And so the prophets would speak, which, by the way, can I just share this? Because through the years, especially being in full gospel and charismatic circles, I've listened to people through the years say, oh, oh, that I had a prophetic anointing. Oh, that God would use me prophetically. Can I just share this with you? that the prophets had a rather high attrition rate. I don't know that I'd aspire to that. If God lays it on you, that's one thing. But I'd let him lay it on you. Because uh, any other way, you'll find yourself usually out of sync with the way the world is going and sometimes swimming upstream while everyone else is floating downstream. But they're necessary. The reason they're necessary is because God has linked himself to doing things according to divine pattern. And until we get the pattern right and we begin to understand what the pattern is, then we can't see the blessing of God. And we can't just simply redefine the pattern to suit ourselves. Remember that. God is in the center of all of that. And so even through the Bible, we've seen reformation take place. And then, of course, there's been reformations that have taken place in history. And this morning, I was laughing with the people at intercession time that before I even came out here this morning, I was just reading through some things. And I know I'm weird. I'm just kind of a different bird. I like reading things that no one else wants to read. And I was reading Luther's 95 Theses. Not exactly spellbinding stuff. But it was important again to read these things. And I was just rekindling in my mind that there was a day that somebody had to post on a doorway, which in those days would have been like a blog site. And he posted these 95 things that were in error or that were deficient or that were egregious or that were sin. He posted it on the Wittenberg door and it caused a stir that has continued to reverberate to this very day. Most of us are here today as born-again, Bible-believing Christians because of that little thing Luther did when he posted 95 theses on the Wittenberg door. You and I wouldn't be here right now loving God, sensing His presence, hearing His Word, understanding His ways. We would not be here unless somebody stood up and began to speak a word that brought reformation across the land. Now, I don't know how popular he was. I can assure you of this. They were finding ways to either hang him, burn him, or kill him. That's, that's how popular he was. Because nobody likes to be challenged when they suddenly hear they're in error. But yet, all through history, we've had to have people, groups, that have decided that they would carry the torch of testimony. 
that people who would raise the light of truth, that whether or not it was popular or whether or not it fit or whether or not you know, people would clamor to it, it was still God's way and that was where His blessing and that was where His favor and that was where His anointing rested. And I believe, I personally believe that God is wanting in this hour again to bring some reformation. The reason He's wanting to bring reformation is, is that he, he is not going, I'm convinced of this, He is not going to bring global revival until He puts His church in order. Now, I believe that, and I'm going to tell you why I believe that. It's because He doesn't want to multiply dysfunction. My biggest fear right now is that, is that there are people, and, and I may get back to this, but there are people who have a sincere desire for God and, and they're looking to the church for, for an answer and they're getting something that isn't quite on target. And then a few months down the road, thinking that somehow they've, they've embraced the label of Christian and yet they find out things aren't working in their life like they thought they would work or they're finding out that there's more to this than they perhaps had originally been told. And all of a sudden, there's discouragement. And what happens is, is the enemy uses that and he begins to sear consciences. And those that I believe were truly to be touched by God to bring into his kingdom find themselves in a hardened and more difficult place to reach because they say to themselves, I, I, it, just, it just doesn't work. Hear me. It's not that it doesn't work. It's just that you, you bought into something that doesn't work. And that's why reformation has to take place. Something has to bring it back to proper understanding and proper definition. So God's not going to multiply dysfunction. And number two, I believe, along with that, God brings reformation in order to give His church credibility again. We've got to be credible in the earth. We're living in a day, I believe, not all that unlike Luther's day. In order to make us feel better about ourselves and who we are and what we do, and certainly we want to stay in the good graces of the Lord, what we do is we redefine things to fit our own personal needs. We redefine things in order to make it fit into our life rather than making our life fit into His ways. Instead of us aspiring to His expectations or His precepts or His promise, what we do is we reduce the Bible down to our natural man life so somehow or another it fits where we are. And so what we've done is, I'm going to give you a couple examples, is we redefine everything. Let me go through this real quickly. Let me give you an example. For instance, if I were to say the word tongues, people here, some of you would instantly know because you've been around me long enough, you know what that means. But do you understand that in many segments of the church, what they've done is they've taken a supernatural, transrational, spiritual language, and now they've reduced it down to someone who can go to school and learn a foreign language more easily than other people. Now, can I just share this with you? Do you think that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14? But we've redefined it. Why have we redefined it? Because we don't practice it anymore. We don't have it anymore. And it never happens anymore. I'm not even sure I want it to happen in some churches, Mr. Pastor would say. And so what do we do? Well, we just redefine it so it makes us fit into the natural mind. I think it's interesting that of the nine gifts of the Spirit, one of them being a word of wisdom, it's no longer being a supernatural impartation of, of wisdom that can come to a person that, that is derived from God and come from nowhere else. We've just turned it into a person who's taken counseling classes. We've redefined it. Are you following me? How about spiritual gifts? Let's just go to, let's just take on the whole thing. Spiritual gifts are no longer supernatural impartations of the Spirit as He wills, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12. But now spiritual gifts are something you go to a class, you take a test, and you find out what your natural dispositions are, and then we call them spiritual gifts. We've just redefined it. We've redefined it. Why? Because we, it just fits better. So what we do is we want to bring this into our life in order to make it fit instead of us aspiring to this. And people wonder why it doesn't work. 
We've redefined prosperity. We've, we've got people preaching prosperity and they're preaching it in such a way that what it means is you get a second house, you get a new jet ski, you get the car you always wanted, get your Cadillac Escalade, you get big bank accounts and say, soul, take thine ease. That is not prosperity. Prosperity is when God can trust you with millions of dollars because you'll release it into kingdom purpose. That's prosperity. I can only live in one house at a time. And I'll believe God to give me a good deal on one by the ocean. I don't need a pool. Do you understand? I don't need a pool in my backyard. Why? Because then I have to take care of it every day. That's what happens. People prosper and they get all their toys and then they burn up all their time taking care of it and they can't get to the house of God anymore. Because they've been laden down with all their blessing. Their blessing is keeping them out of the house of God. Explain that one to me. I don't need it anymore. I'll go bum a pool off someone else and just say, can I come over and swim at your place? And I don't have to take care of it anymore. But we have redefined everything. We redefi we've redefined grace. Grace in our current church culture means you're excused no matter what you do. That ain't grace. It's not what the Scripture says grace. Grace is an empowerment that causes you to prevail over whatever it is that comes your way. Grace doesn't, doesn't mean God winks at me as I willfully go be disobedient. Grace means He empowers me that when the temptation comes before me, I have more than enough of Him available to overcome Whatever it is that's in front of me. But you see, we just because you see, we don't we don't we don't want that. We want it to fit. I want this. So I'm going to make it fit. We've redefined conversion. Conversion used to mean that your whole life was transformed into a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things became new. You weren't the same person. It doesn't mean that anymore. What happens now is we come to the front of a church. We shake a hand, pray a four-sentence prayer. I've listened to this. I've, had, I've, listened, I've listened to ministers say, just pray these four sentences. And they'll lead them. And they'll look and say, now you're born again. I'm sorry. Where's repentance? Where, where, is, where, is, where is the place that it's not just signing up like you've just now become, you know, an Amway distributor? Nothing against Amway. God uses it wonderful. If you're one, God bless you. I'm not, but I'm just saying there's something more to this than just a sign up list. But we've redefined it. We've redefined success. Success is no longer being obedient to the will of God. That's how I would define success. I think you're successful when you know what the will of God is and you've obeyed it, no matter what. But now success is how much money. How much size, how much visibility, how, what a big shot I am, or whatever the case may be. All of our lives, that's what we've defined success as. And can I just stop with this one, and I won't go through all the redefinitions, but we've redefined sin. Sin is no longer objective anymore. But sin has become whatever I see it as. Well, that may be sin to you, but that's not sin to me. Well, if it's sin to here, it's sin. It's sin. It's objective. And the minute you challenge somebody in their life on living contrary to the Word of God. Now listen, this isn't, this isn't you're living up to a personal conviction or just the way I see it, but I'm talking an objective, an objective word out of the Scriptures. The minute you challenge somebody in our current culture, you instantly hear, you're just being judgmental. Well, no. No. Because if you'll read it, of course, everyone knows that phrase. They just never read Matthew 7, 1. Matthew 7, 1 says, don't judge lest you be judged. But, but then they stop there. It goes on to say, for by the same measure you are judged, you shall be judged. Well, I understand this is the measure I'll be judged by. Therefore, I can now conform to what Jesus said when he said you would know a man by his fruits. So I'm not judging anybody. I'm just sort of a fruit inspector. And I watch people live their lives, and I'm not judging them. I mean it. I'm not judging them. I'm not declaring an absolute, you know, declaration over there. I'm not. I'm not judging them. But but you're leaving a swath of rotten apples behind you. So it doesn't take much to be able to say something and click in there. Now, listen. That's not judgmentalism. 
That is simply doing what Jesus said. But God's wanting to bring us back to credibility because if, if we see it and we're afraid to say this anymore, we're afraid to say these things anymore. Why? Because people don't want to hear it. I, I, we don't want to say anything that people don't want to hear because we've got to get them back. Because if we don't get them back, we won't get bigger. If we don't get bigger, we won't be successful. And we're living in a convoluted age that's twisted and crazy and has redefined everything to where I've reached the place and I've said this, God, we need, we need voices. We need people. We need congregations who, who are committed to reforming things so that we can work as they were designed to work. Come on, I'm telling you, I am helping lives work as they were designed by God to work. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be favored. He wants you to be successful. But the reason we are frustrated and the reason at times we've lost our credibility is because we have redefined the terms and God is bringing the spirit of reformation across our land. Now, to have a vision for something like this, you have to have some idea as to what you're shooting for. Now, the church at Thessalonica, let's talk about these guys for just a minute. At Thessalonica, they were one of the better examples of church life. Good people. Paul was concerned about them, but he went ahead and wrote a letter and he found out some things. And so really, when he found out they were doing well and he didn't have to stop by there, it actually relieved him because he was able to go to some other places in order to work with them because they were not having as good and as uh, prevailing a time as the church at Thessalonica was having. So... The Thessalonians did not need reformation as other places did. But Paul, interestingly, as he affirms them, he leaves this little template here in these verses I read to you. And it's not an exhaustive list. But it's a template of where we can begin to aim for. Now listen to me. When, when we talk about this, it, it encompasses everybody. It encompasses, obviously, pastors. It encompasses churches. But listen to me really, really carefully here. Reformation ultimately is about you. Because you live out there 24-7, I do too. But a lot of you are in the hunt, you're at, you're at, you're at places of employment, maybe you own your business, you're in environments that are challenging, they're even hostile. Some of you are at school, some of you are in the military, some of you, you know, are just in different venues all through life. And, and it's there that God wants to work in amazing ways in order to use you, in order to touch people. But I'm telling you, people want a credible. They want an example. They want, they want something they can look at and say, that works. That works. So God wants that for you. Now, I'm going to give you 10 areas. And as you're listening to this, I don't want you to listen to this as just sort of a, a journey uh, through just spiritual precept. But I want you to begin to ask yourself the question, is this an area that I need the, the, the wind, the spirit of reformation to blow across my life. Now, this isn't to hound you or to pound you, but this is hopefully to be a prophetic voice to you in, in this setting that's certainly not personal, except if the Holy Spirit comes to get you, then it feels personal. But this is a moment for you to begin to say, Lord, I want, I want to be credible. I, I, I want to be an example. I want to be used by God. I want to be favored. I want to be blessed. I don't like frustration. I don't want to live in, in, in a deception. I want things to be defined appropriately. Is there something at this place that maybe I need to do? Holy Spirit, talk to me. Man, can I just share this? Oh God, that you would send conviction again to us all and that we would embrace it. We have bought into the silly psychological notion that guilt is bad. Yes, there's bad guilt. Bad guilt is when you put something under the blood, you've been forgiven for it, it's over, it's done, it's been cast into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west, and if the enemy brings it up again and tries to condemn you with that, that is bad guilt. Don't receive it. But if you're in the middle of sin and you're in the middle of disobedience and you're in the middle of that which is wayward and off the beaten path and God speaks to you and you have conviction, oh, that means He loves you. 
He loves you so much that He's reaching to you and He's saying, I want to pull you back in. I want to pull you to the place where you'll find my favor and you'll find my blessing and you'll find my help again. We're so worried about someone feeling guilty. If you feel guilty and need to, I say praise God. Because now you're at the place of true transformation. And God can begin to do something important in your life. All right? So, so let, him, let Him begin to talk to you. Don't, don't recoil at it. Don't push it away. I can't tell you how much conviction. The Holy Spirit, man, if I start going down a wrong path, I can tell you, man, the Holy Spirit will start dealing with me and I hate that feeling. How many of you have ever got a good dose of conviction? Anybody here got just a good dose? I mean, your conscience is going... Ding, 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 ding. It's like that old lost in space where the robot goes, warning, Will Robinson, warning, Will Robinson. Warning, Kevin Baird, warning, Kevin Baird. I hate that feeling. Now listen, what we want to do is we want to get rid of the feeling, but keep what we're doing. That's not how it works. You get rid of the feeling by obeying. I'm going to give you just 10 things. Ask yourself, all right? Because I don't know that I can answer this for you, but i got to answer it for me and all of us. Number one, 10 areas of reformation. Number one, knowledge of the Word. We're going to work through this fast. Knowledge of the Word. The reason we're weak is because we don't understand His Word. We, we have lost the need to know what He said. You know, the Scripture says, Thy Word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against Thee. The reason there can be sin in our life is because we've not hidden the Word in our heart. The Scripture says of itself that it makes us wise in the things of God. The Bible says that His Word is forever settled in the heavens. Listen, the reason, the, you know, people laugh because they think I'm this walking concordance, but I've took, taken seriously the fact that you've got you to get the Word in your system. And there's no way to get it in your system unless you read it. To get it in your system, to know it. Come on, my primary concern is not that you know management theory and leadership precepts and organizational concepts. I'm not wanting you just to get a positive message. I'm not wanting to be your life coach. I'm trying to get the Word in you so that you won't be anemic and powerless anymore. We make doctors go to years of school before operating on the body. I mean, I don't want somebody who got an online diploma... And who just got out, and he comes into the operating room, and I'm laying there and says, don't worry. You know, I got my degree online, and I got through just faster than others. And, um, you know, you're going to be fine. No way. You're not putting that knife on me. I want somebody who knows what they're doing. I'm getting old enough now. This is funny, because I'm getting old enough now that I'm seeing more and more doctors that are younger than I am. That's a whole worldview switch right there for me. I mean, I'm going to see these doctors and they're 15 years, you know, some 20 years younger than I am. And like they want, you know, to explore places. And I'm like, well, this is really hard because, you know, I, it's just hard. But, but, you know, they can be young, but they can be skilled. And, and truth of the matter is we, we need people who are skilled in the word. We're operating on men's souls. We're working in, in areas that are the most important area of their life. You know, the body may disintegrate. They may be killed. The soul lives on forever. And right now, I understand how important this moment is, is because I am inputting your spiritual being. And it is far more important than any pill you may take or any doctor you may see. And I don't apologize for that because I'm speaking to eternity. Eternity. That pill may keep you alive a few more years, but you'll still die if Jesus tarries. And once you die, what I said will have far more impact than what that medicine man said. Are you following me? we got to get knowledge of the Word. Come on. Do I need... God, are you talking to me about this that I need to know this better? Number two, we need to reform our, ourselves in the area of the demonstration of power. This is what he says here in these verses. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also what? In power. In power. Can I share this with you? This is a Bible story that hopefully you'll get. Some of you may remember in the book of Acts when Paul went to the Areopagus and he began to debate the philosophers there at the Areopagus. And in that debate, 
he pointed to their statue of the unknown God. And he kind of sprung off of that in order to share with them. And what happened in that moment was that all these philosophers and all these teachers and all these smart people said, we'll consider what you say. Would you come back tomorrow and teach us some more? Now, there may be some things left out of the story that just weren't recorded for us. And it may well be that Paul went back and and spoke more to them. But the Bible is clear about this, that so far as we know, there were no conversions that took place through that discussion. Now, I've listened through the years of people teaching that passage and saying how we need to relate, you know, to people at their own level and we need to use this and that to relate to people on their own level. Can I just share this with you? I'm done relating to people at their own level. I'm trying to get them to relate to Jesus and understanding. Listen, now it's not that you've got to be highfalutin, but Paul, when he tried to do that, did not find any kingdom success, which is why I believe in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, when he said, for when I came to you, because he's thinking back now to what happened at the Areopagus, God has, did, has dealt with him, and now he's, he understands that he was wrong there, but now he's changed things, and this is what he said. For when I came to you, I did not come to you with superiority of speech or with words of wisdom, but rather in fear and much trembling. And he said, I came to you demonstrating the gospel in power. So that your faith may not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And sometimes we just need a good old dose of power. We just need to see something miraculous go on. We just need to hear the testimonies of somebody who got healed. Somebody who got set free. Some change that manifested in people's body. This is the gospel we preach. we got to begin to reform once again and believe God for miracles. Do you understand? People need miracles. Are you a miracle carrier? Are you one that's prepared to to, to pray and to seek and to really believe and to look someone in the eye and not just to say, there, there, I'll pray, but to begin to look people in the eye and say, God can do miracles in your life. That's the kind of reformation we need. So we got to have power that has to be restored. Then number three, he goes on to say, and in the Holy Spirit. So we need the word power, and then we need God's presence. We got to reform so that God's presence will come again. A sense of God must be in the church. It must be in people's lives. Do you know what all this preaching, I'm glad you came here to listen to what I have to say, but can I just share this with you? Unless you encounter God, what I have to say won't change much. That in all of this, God's presence must come and you must encounter his presence. And his presence must come back to his people and his church. We, we, we need once again, not just to not just to set an atmosphere. And I, I've said this before. I love all this cool technology that everyone does here. And, and we got so many compliments on what we've done in here. And I think it has a place to to draw people's attention. But let me tell you, the light machine ain't going to change you. Are you following me? I mean, the technology won't change anybody. God's presence will, though. His presence will. Is there, is there a sense of God on your life that people, that people sense? Come on now, ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, are there things you need to reform in my life? Number four, it says here that they knew what kind of men, excuse me, that they came in much assurance. I'm sorry, I skipped over. That they came not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. In fact, that word assurance, it's an interesting word. It actually means the fullness of the gospel, the full freedom there is in Christ. He said, when we came to you, we demonstrated that we were free. It's a reality. This isn't theory. That when you looked at our lives, you could see that we were free from the sins that easily beset us. We were free from the bondages of this world. We were free from the tug. We were free. Now, hear me now. Again, I understand nobody's perfect. Temptation comes. Unfortunately, people yield. The good news is you can get up, dust yourself off, and get going again. But hear hear me out when I say this, that God's raising up people who have actually been set free. The Bible does not teach suppression. It teaches freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. It doesn't say for suppression. It doesn't mean we just shove everything down so we don't think about it. Try not to think about it. It's, 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 It's like when you tell everybody, don't think about the white elephant. What does everybody begin to do? 
Yeah, they think about the white elephant. It's like looking at, it's like looking at guys and saying, don't think about the Victoria's Secret poster. Oh my God, why did you say that, Pastor? I mean, really. But that's depression. I can't think about it. I don't want to think about it. Oh my God, I thought about it. I'm defeated again. Listen to me. That's not even Scripture. It was for freedom. Christ has set us free. Freedom. Freedom. Well, you will know the truth. And the truth will... Well, it doesn't say suppression, does it? Freedom. When we looked at you, this is what he says. When they saw us, they saw freedom. Freedom. And we got to start preaching. That's why I preach. You get what you preach. I preach freedom. Number five, there was an integrity of walk. It says, as they knew what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Do you realize in verse five, there are five things I've already mentioned to you right there by way of reformation. Five things right there already. An integrity of walk. We've got to walk like we talk. What we say is how we live. No duplicity, no inconsistency, no hypocrisy. We're going to live this thing out for real. I'm in this thing every day, 24-7. Tracy and I, again, we're not perfect. Wouldn't hold ourselves up as being that, but I can tell you this. We're serious about being 24-7 kind of people. When we cross the state line, it doesn't mean that the rules change. If I have convictions in Charleston, South Carolina, if I take a cruise, my convictions remain. If I have convictions in Charleston, South Carolina, if I go to my distant uncle's wedding ceremony and everybody's drunk as a skunk, my convictions remain. If I turn the channel because I've got members in the house watching TV with me and I don't want them to know that we would maybe watch that, listen, I'll turn the channel when they aren't there. That's, that's integrity. That's wholeness. We're living, we're living in a church that winks at each other all the time. Don't tell pastor. You have bigger problems than me finding out. I, I, I may never know, but I'll tell you, God will. And He does. And I'm telling you right now, this is the moment we can put things in order and God's blessing and anointing will come again. Not because we're so righteous and so holy, but because our hearts are all out for Him. And integrity of walk. See, well, nobody's perfect. I understand nobody's perfect, but you're calendaring your imperfections now. You're planning your imperfections. You're wanting your imperfections to manifest. I understand nobody's perfect. Things happen. We get snagged. But it is time that we understood. Back to number four. There's freedom. I know this word. There's an integrity. Isn't this good? This is good because, you see, we're positioning ourselves for God's blessing. Number six, there's a commitment to discipleship. It's interesting. In verse six, it says you became followers of, of us and of the Lord. Interesting. Followers of us and of the Lord. You guys have 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Therefore, I urge you, this is what Paul says, imitate me. Wasn't Paul just a bold joker? Just imagine. Hey, everybody, listen, 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 listen. Imitate me. That's bold. I mean, to say that, that's bold. Can you put the next one up there? I think it's 11.1. It says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. See, there's a commitment to discipleship, and that's why Paul wrote in these words, he said, he said, you need to follow the Lord. Yes, everybody can say amen to that, right? We follow the Lord. But he also says, you, you need to find some flesh and blood that you can attach yourself to as well. He says, you can follow us. And, and, and let me just say this, that the, the world is looking for someone to follow. Someone with an answer, someone with a solution, someone whose life measures up to their confession, their walk matches their talk. And, and nobody, nobody you know, wants to be put on some pedestal, and I don't think it's pedestal putting, but I do think it's a, it's a form of discipleship. Come on now, if your life works, it's worthy to be imitated. That's why I don't apologize. I understand people oftentimes will say, well, that's just, that's pastor's view. That's pastor's conviction. That's just pastor. That, well, all right, I understand. We're all, you know, 
uh, individuals before the Lord. I get that. I understand that you can hear from God just like I can hear from God. I put my pants on the same way you do. I get it. I'm a human being. I get it. But I want to ask you this question. If there's any fruit in my life, if there's anything that we've demonstrated the least bit Christ-like, then I'm telling you right now, you need to follow that. Follow that. Imitate that. I've been doing this now for 33 years. Certainly not perfect, but I got a little fruit. Just a little maybe, but I got a little fruit that I can at least show you and say, listen, I don't know where you're at, but this is how we did it. This is where we're at. This is some of the outcomes of it. If you got something better, you go for it. But when I stand and I share with you convictions and leadership, and when I begin to share with you things that God has spoke to us, don't just blow me off and just say, no, that's, it, pastor. that's how pastor does it. Well, if you've got better fruit, I want to see it and tell me about it. Because then I'll, I'll implement it in my life. That's what the world's looking for, though. It's looking for people that they can emulate and follow. Marriages that are falling apart are looking for marriages that are stable. People who can't control their kids are looking for parents who have gotten their kids through the rough areas and tough times and they still love God. They're looking for that. I looked for that. I wanted to find models of living and life I wanted to find models of, of, of ethics and integrity that I could set my eyes on and say, I, I want that. What did you do to get there? Discipleship. That's got to be reformed in the church. We've got this free market, free for all. And everybody's doing whatever they want to do. And nobody's, nobody's getting anywhere. It's just, what do you want? I'll just, I'll, it's not what do you want. It's what God wants. What brings success? I've got to keep going. Number seven. Truth in advertising. He says here that you became followers, received the word in much affliction. I call that truth in advertising. Afflictions come. Can you say amen? <laughs> Afflictions come. There's no immunity. If you're living for Jesus, can I just share this with you? You made a top ten list and it's Satan's. Because he does not like you. Because... You're following the Lord. And the key to Christianity is not that you avoid adversity, but that we overcome it. I'm raising up. The Lord wants to raise up overcomers, not avoiders. He's raising up conquerors, triumphant. I've said this a thousand times. You can't be an overcomer unless you face something that has to be overcome. Yes, there's afflictions. It's not all easy. If you sign up for, for uh, Jesus following 101, I will assure you, you're going to face adversity. Don't think you're signing up for the plan of ease and no more problems and, and God's just going to be just so good to you that everything is just going to be absolutely perfect. I rebuke that. You're going to sign up and you're going to face hardships like Paul did. He faced shipwrecks. He faced floggings. He faced all sorts of incredible adversity and yet he prevailed. He was victorious. And the gospel was spread. It's the most paradoxical thing I'll ever share is that the gospel works best under adversity. Amen. So there'll be afflictions. We got to restore that mentality. Eight, genuine joy. I got to hurry. Listen, if your walk with Jesus isn't a happy one, then you need to sign up for the real walk then. God wants your heart to be opened up and you need to get a big dose of his presence and realize there's joy. Joy. Even in tough moments, there's joy. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. Still a smile on your face. Yes, there's heartaches. In fact, the scripture says that we'll even grieve. But the Bible says that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. So even in your grief and even in your discouragement, there's still a joy. You say, I've lost my joy, pastor. Well, come on then. Get tied into the joy giver again. Don't sit where you're at like the lepers at the gate who said, shall we sit here and die? You will die. But you can arise and get before your God again and get your joy back. Come on, we got to restore joy in the camp again. This is joyful. Yes, I'm fighting the enemy as I'm facing adversity, as I'm going through tough times, as people don't like me and they don't understand me, and as the world turns against me, there's still joy. Get your joy. Oh my goodness. Number nine, we've got to be living examples says here, for they themselves. Well, excuse me, verse 7, so that you became examples to all. We're examples. God, God's restoring and reforming us to the place of examples. 
a place of testimony. I don't know why this was all going through me. I've had an interesting week this week, so I guess, I guess some of it's just stirred because of certain interactions I've had through the week. But we've got to be examples again, living examples, living testimonies. Whatever, whatever happened to this testimony? I was sleeping around, but I got saved, and I don't do that anymore. You know what it is now? It's I got saved, and I've trimmed the list down to just those I really care about. Sure it is. Whatever happened to I got delivered from alcohol? I understand. I, I understand I'm in a tree or two here. If I don't get in your tree, who's going to get in it? Now, now it's only, I, well, I just drink on special occasions. Well, you whip that pastor. Jesus turned water into wine. The pastor, pastor. Paul said to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Well, we got a whole lot of stomach problems in the church at large. I've heard, that, I've heard this stuff for years. Well, that's just your conviction. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But whatever happened to those testimonies? We don't hear them anymore, do you? I got, I, I, how, come, how come every awakening, we sang that song, Awakening, which, by the way, was a really great song. But how come historically, and I'm a church history, I got my, I got my doctor's degree in church history, so you don't even try to argue this one with me. You, you, you will be barking up a wrong tree. I, I'll just give you that hint. How come all through history, every awakening that we read about in Scripture, the bars are closed down in those cities? Why is that? Oh, no, 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 we don't understand this awakening, and because we're in Charleston, God's going to keep it open just on the weekends, as we still get our awakening. I understand. I'm not saying it's going to send you to hell. I understand. I get it. I get it. I'm not telling you you're going to hell. I'm just asking, at what place, at what place does it get reformed and we get serious about these things? Give us examples again. Convictions again. Come on, I'm reading now. Listen, this is crazy. I know it's crazy. We've got Christian women doing pole dancing. Christian, Christian pole dancing of all things. Well, I never thought. Well, have mercy. Christian pole dancing. Wow. Well, I just, you know, I'm sure the Christian men are glad to know that. Oh, it's just exercise. Give me, I'm not, I'm not as stupid as you think I am. There, there, there I know, there's, I know there's some people, they, they are conveniently naive. They aren't that stupid. They aren't that dumb. They aren't that dumb. It's like Christian pornography. See, I'm forgiven, but I can still get naked and get a picture taken of me and show the world. Why not? I mean, that's where we're headed. You understand that, right? Right, I, I, I can do anything. I can commit adultery, and I'm a Christian adulterer. Christian fornicator. I'm just saying what everyone knows. It's a big elephant in the midst of the body of Christ and no one really wants to say it because if we say it, I might offend somebody. God is offended. When do we hear that? I understand I'm not controlling you. You go do what you want. Live what you want. But I'm going to preach what I want. See? I got a feeling. I got a feeling that Miss Tracy is not going to have a Christian pole dancing class here at, at Legacy. I do not think, I don't think that's going to happen. That just, that's just a witness of my spirit. But what's, what's hilarious is that people would have to pray about that. Well, I'll pray about that. I, you know. Pray about it. To even have to pray about it says something to me. 
I feel that horse riding, but I'm going to let the horse go. Number 10, I'm done. It says that we should have fruitful labor. All of us, all of us are in the field. All of us are laborers. All of us have a responsibility. Wherever God has placed you, I'm not telling you to be obnoxious, but I am telling you to be a witness. We need to leave a mark behind us. Will anyone know that a man of God or a woman of God has come through their midst? Will anyone even know that? I understand there's strategy, there's finesse. I understand that there's love and you just don't come out of the chute and pound. I under, believe me, I get it. I, I understand that there are ways to reach the world. And we're not cleaning up the world before they can come to Jesus. But, but folks, we've got to begin to give them a demonstration, a living example. So that we can have fruitful labor. Someone, someone needs to remember that a man of God, a woman of God has come through that workplace or come through that school or come through that city or come through that county and they made a dent in it somehow for the cause of the gospel. And all of this built the reputation of the Thessalonians. All of it did. Now I'm going to give you some good news. I've, I've given you a bad time now for quite some time. Now I'm going to give you some affirmation. Amen. Had a pastor come by the other day, just wanted to visit and see what we were up to, kind of see what we'd done, just heard we'd done some things, and he was looking at it, and so I was giving him the short little tour, and uh, we were just talking, and at the end of it, he said something that really encouraged me, and, and really, it was a reflection of you. As I've said before, a lot of times, I get affirmation, but all I, all I am is the receiver of, of what you've been doing as a people, and he said, uh, he said to me, you know, when we first came to the city, we've only been here about a year or so. And as we were kind of getting the lay of the land and kind of seeing how things worked and we were just, you know, just kind of getting our, our, ourselves established, I just would ask people, I'd ask other pastors, I'd, I'd, I'd just begin to solicit information if, that if I was going to find people who were, were credible and, and, and doing the gospel and just, just churches that you would think are on target, which ones, which ones would you give? Which five would you give? And he said he'd probably ask that question at least a half a dozen times, maybe a dozen times in different scenarios. And, and people would, would list five different churches in the area that they felt were doing the gospel and doing a good work, had some level of influence, some level of impact, and, and they'd list some. And, and, and those of you that have lived here could probably name a number of those churches in your mind as, as you would go down that list. But the thing that encouraged me, and I don't know that I've ever thought about it, it never entered my mind that it would be this. But he looked at me and he said, I want you to know, that every single list that I asked, legacy was on that list. And I thought, really? I said to him, really? <laughs> That's kind of how I was, really? Us? We just in this mall, you know? He said, yeah, every single one. And I walked away, and, and I, I was kind of like you. I went, wow, I wouldn't have thought that. Just doing what we're supposed to be doing. I share this with you, not that we all just go, I share this with you simply to say, people notice. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a grocery store. I've been at, at a Lowe's or a Home Depot or somewhere, and I'm walking through there, and someone will smile at me and wave, and I know that they know me, but I have no clue as to who they are. You say, what do you do? I just go. <laughs> I had a guy one time at a Lowe's come down the aisle. I had no idea who he was, and he just grabbed me and hugged me. And just was, oh, Pastor Barry, he's just hugging me. And, and I'm, I have no clue who he is. And, and inside I'm just going, I, 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 I'm believing you're a Christian man. And I said, hi, nice to see you too. Obviously, I get to, I get to stand in front of people and that probably is to be uh, assumed that might happen. Let, let me tell you something though. People know you too. They know us all. And God's wanting to reform something. It, we can't do this ourselves. Only he can do it in us. But when he does it in us, it no longer becomes a burden. It becomes a delight. It no longer becomes a hardship or a yoke. Jesus himself said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now listen to me. There's a yoke, but it's easy. And it's light. I, I, I carry all sorts of yokes on me with which uh, I believe are being used by God in order to demonstrate freedom and goodness and all the things that we just mentioned here. And it's not hard. It's easy. 
And the reason it's easy and it's light is because he's in me. And he helps uphold it. And this is what I'm asking. I asked you in the beginning to just be honest before the Holy Spirit. As the winds of reformation blow, are there things that need reformed in you? That's not a bad question. I don't even intend for it to be a guilt-inducing question. I intend for it to be a a, a destiny door-opening moment. That whatever it is, God may be saying that it's not for your demise. It's for your future. It's for your good. It's for His kingdom. It's for purposes that are eternal. It's for more than you've ever imagined. Would you stand with me?